Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Basically, Michelle and I were cooking Mexican food one day, and I was tossing beans and jalapeno juice and limes and stuff. And Michelle goes, I wonder how often Jesus farted. And we just descended into giggles, but it got us thinking about <laughs> the human Jesus. And it got us thinking about the fact that, like, he never tasted a potato or a tomato because those were from the new world. That's so sad. He only would have tasted, wait, what did Jesus eat? So we started looking about what Jesus ate. And then like, huh, wait, he didn't have a car or a plane or a train. How did he get around? And turns out he walked over 21,000 miles in his life. Someone <laughs> retraced the math. And uh, yeah, it kind of led us down this rabbit trail of like, what are Jesus's politics? What are Jesus's economics? What is, what is Jesus's philosophy? Today's guess is that almost everything that we know about Jesus is wrong. Where did he get all this information? And why has he decided to write a book on all of this? He'll share that with us today. We're joined today by Jared Brock. He is an author, a filmmaker. You've got a long list of titles, actually, and the history behind you is great. Tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and what led you into this world of writing and filmmaking. So I grew up in a Christian home, and but I didn't become uh, a follower of Jesus until I was 17 years old. I kissed my future wife at a Newsboys concert when we were 13 years old. And we started making documentaries in our early 20s and started writing books. So I've done a 37,000 mile prayer pilgrimage around the world. And um, we've made films about teenage addiction to pornography and human trafficking. And we don't own cell phones. People seem to be freaked out by the fact that we've gone to 40 countries without phones. But yeah, my, and, and we're here today chatting about my newest book, which is a biography on Jesus. Okay, I want to get around to that book in just a minute. But that what you just mentioned there is very interesting. What made you decide not to own cell phones, especially in today's world? I mean, it's great to be disconnected, but what's your reasoning behind it? So about 12 years ago, Michelle and I took the 100 Things Challenge, which is where you get all your possessions down to less than 100 items. We had 88 items for a six-month journey through Central America. Uh, Michelle had taken a minor in university, and we wanted to... Uh, volunteer our way through through Central America so she could practice her Spanish and we could see some of the world. And um, my cell phone didn't make the cut. My Crackberry stayed at home for our journey. And while we were there, um, I had this moment um, when we were in Nicaragua where we met this 19-year-old boy with no legs. His name was Daniel. And he was drinking with a straw from a rusty fire hydrant. And it kind of woke me up to my comfort and my luxury and my wealth. And we just said, we got to change some things. And so we came back home and I said, I'll reactivate my Blackberry when I need it. And uh, that was 12 years ago and it still hasn't been a need. I'm obviously quite connected. I make films and write books and whatnot, but it is really nice not to have porn in my pocket, to not have the distraction of social media and push notifications. And so it allows us to do deep work. Um, and then obviously when we do see our friends, it's it's much more intentional and distraction free. That has got to be so refreshing. I I want to challenge myself and everyone out there to do that because the world has changed because of those little things in our pockets. Um, now, going back to your book, your latest book is A God Named Gosh, uncovering the human life of Jesus Christ. Now, the both of us were talking about it beforehand and we're going, huh? So tell us a little bit about this book and why you want to uncover the human life of Jesus and where that idea came from. Yeah. So a, a God named Josh, the the premise basically is like 
first of all, why do we call Jesus Jesus? That wasn't his name. So his name in Hebrew was Yehoshua ben Yehoshaph, which is Joshua, son of Joseph. We'd call him Josh Josephson if he was born today, or maybe his grandpa Jacob, we'd call him Josh Jacobson. Um, so we went from Yehoshua in Hebrew to Yeshua in Aramaic to Jesus in Greek in, Hebrew, Greek in um, Latin, and then Jesus in English. So we don't even call him by his own name. And basically, Michelle and I were cooking Mexican food one day, and I was tossing beans and jalapeno juice and limes and stuff. And Michelle goes, I wonder how often Jesus farted. And we just descended into giggles, but it got us thinking about the human Jesus. And it got us thinking about the fact that like, he never tasted a potato or a tomato because those were from the new world. That's so sad. He only would have tasted, wait, what did Jesus eat? So we started looking about what Jesus ate. And then like, how, wait, he didn't have a car or a plane or a train. How did he get around? And turns out he walked over 21,000 miles in his life. Someone <laughs> retraced the math. And uh, yeah, it kind of led us down this rabbit trail of like, what are Jesus's politics? What are Jesus's economics? What is, what is Jesus's philosophy? And so basically each chapter is like the economic Josh, the political Josh, the relational Josh, and of course the Jewish Josh. Jesus was born as a Jew, raised as a Jew, died as a Jew. And so we definitely can't miss that lens when we talk about Jesus. So I hope this book, you know, for those of us who are raised in church and especially in Sunday school, I hope this book really surprises people. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've never heard this before. And I really hope it drives people to the Bible. So it has over a thousand scripture references in it. So basically, I only wrote half the book, really. Um, but my really hope, my hope is that people can't read a God named Josh without having their Bible side by side. I love it. And I, I have to say, too, like a God named Josh immediately. I'm like, what? Because how have I never known this? If I've grown up in the church and I knew about Yeshua and I knew about, you know, these other things, but. Yehoshua, I. This is the first time I've heard this, so yeah, mind blown. Yeah. So you talk about the humanity of Jesus as well, like you were saying, uh, what he looked like, what he ate. How did you get the information about what he looked like, what he ate? Tell us about that. Yes, yeah, so like I mean, everyone knows what Jesus looks like, right? He's about as white as mayonnaise, and he wears long flowing robes, and he has a long beard, right? We know what Jesus looks like. Well, no, hold on, pause. Let's back it up a little bit. So we know from the archaeology and the bones they pulled up from the first century Judea in the area, we know that the average dude was only about five foot six. And we know that it, the Bible says that there's nothing in Jesus that was like remarkable. So for instance, like Samson, really strong, right? Saul, really tall. Zacchaeus, really short. Um, Socrates, really ugly. Like they always mention in ancient times when people have something special going on. So if Jesus isn't particularly tall or short, He's probably between like five, five and five, seven ish. So like most of us today are like taller than Jesus, which is really weird to think about, like looking down at our Lord and Savior. Um, but we also know from coins and paintings from the time that the average dude in the time had a short beard. They didn't have these big, long flowing beards. They typically had shorter cropped hair. If you want to know what Jesus looked like, to like ethnicity wise, the best, the best comparison genetics we have is Iraqi Jews today. So like dark olive skin, black hair, darker eyes. So that really changes what we picture when we picture this man is Jesus. And also Jesus makes fun of religious people who wear long robes. He, it, he has never mentioned wearing these long stoli. He's always in a chiton, which is like a knee length. Like when the, what, there's no mention of the Roman soldiers like, 
ripping apart his big posh robe. He makes fun of people who wear these posh clothes. So it really changes how we view the physical Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I got to ask then, and and so appreciate this. When when you say mayonnaise Jesus, I just can't even help but laugh. (laughs) But I would love to hear your opinion. I I know you don't own a cell phone, but you watch TV if you're a filmmaker. At at some point, you've seen The Chosen, question mark? Yeah, I have, yeah. Okay, how do you feel about that portrayal of Jesus in general? Because you even just said the rope thing, and he he is wearing a shorter, like a knee-length thing. Yeah, like, I mean, The Chosen, they've done a bang-up job on their research. They've really stayed on top. Even something, like, watch the next time you watch an episode, um, you'll see he has, like, a blue thread on the bottom of his robes. So Jesus actually comments about people in the Bible who lengthen the tassels on their robes. That blue thread was really expensive and you would lengthen it if you wanted to like show off. That's like mm-hmm. showing up at church today in a model, you know, a Tesla Model X with the wings coming up. Like that was their version of that back in the day was just lengthen those tassels a little bit. And Jesus is like, calm down, love God, love people. Stop trying to show off. Just be real. And yeah, so I, I'm, I've been really impressed by The Chosen so far. Yeah. Another interesting thing you bring up in this book is, um, well, often we say that, you know, it's said that the Jews killed Jesus. You have a very different story. Tell us about this. I do. So this was probably the biggest shocker for me growing up in the church. So there's just this general thing in culture and in Christian circles that, quote unquote, the Jews killed, like every Jew and Steven Spielberg killed Jesus. Every Jew who's ever lived killed Jesus. Um, and it's based on this verse where uh, it's where the, there are a group of people who say to Pilate, let his blood be on us and our children. And there's actually a term for this idea that the Jews killed a deity. It's called Jewish deicide. And most denominations have never put out an official statement repudiating this insane piece of theology. But it turns out that on earth, Jesus was actually killed by the Romans, those are the ones who did the executing. However, there is a dastardly crime family behind the scenes. They are a they are so violent and so corrupt. The biggest house ever excavated in ancient Israel, 13,000 square feet, belong to them. Uh, they are scammers who don't believe in most of the Old Testament. They don't believe in the afterlife. They force Jews to pay their temple tax with coins that pro, that basically worship Baal, this you know god god of the underworld, There's, they make between ten and a hundred million dollars a year in current currency um, because they control the Temple Mount for about sixty years. They're mentioned four times by name in Scripture and eighty-four times in total. Every time there's a persecution of the early church, one of these family members is in charge of the high priestly temple. These people are insane. And the patriarch, his name is Annas, A-N-N-A-S. He gets his son-in-law, Caiaphas, elected high priest. Basically, he bribed his way to it when Jesus um, was around. And yeah, the family, they were despots. And it's them. The the New Testament, John, all the other uh, apostles, the gospel writers, um, um, Cleopas, so many people in the New Testament blame the high priest specifically, just this family. And uh, yeah, I, I never learned about this when I was when I was a kid. The blood of Jesus was on the house of Annas. And Jesus basically, he actually tells a parable about them, the parable of Lazarus uh, and Abraham. 
he talks about this father with his five sons in the high priestly robes. And he has like a barely veiled parable about this crazy family. And they hate him. When he overthrows their temple corruption, uh, they immediately seek a way to kill him, the Bible says. That's when he flipped tables? Yeah, so he's actually flipping their houses. It was called the Booth of the Sons of Annas. They were running a hugely corrupt temple marketing scam. A, a later high priest actually drops the price by 96%. So they're overcharging people by like 10, 20-fold factors. They're, they're ripping people off left, right, and center. And Jesus is sick of it. He's like, you've turned my house of prayer into a house of, of thieves. The word he uses, lestai, robbers, like political machinating Kind of like today's bankers. Okay, so you've got at least one chapter on this, I take it, in your book? Because <laughs> uh, now I'm like, I need to know it, more about yeah. this. <laughs> a lot of it falls in the political chapter and the economic chapter. Jesus's economics are very troubling to modern, you know, capitalist world people. And uh, his politics would be very troubling to our left-right continuum. And, you know, even something as simple as, like, most people think Jesus has 12 disciples. He doesn't. Scripture is very clear that he has 72. And a bunch of them are women. We know five of his female disciples named in scripture. And we know some more about some of those women than we do about some of his inner 12 apostles. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. And <laughs> I remember specifically reading my Bible and then stopping, like blatantly stopping and looking. He released 70 more disciples. That's the word he used. And I was like, why don't we know this? <laughs> so, um, yeah, why do you think it's important to know that not only did he have more than 12, but also that women followed him. If, G if Jesus doesn't love, if, if, if the gospel isn't good news for all people, it's not good news, right? It's got to be for you and me right now. It had to be for every peasant 2,000 years ago and every person who's struggling with AI cyborgs 1,000 years from now. It's, it, it has to be good news for all time, all people, in all places. Um, it, what's really interesting is that Jesus's ministry is actually so, like, how was how was he bankrolled? How did he how did these seventy two people pay to get around and travel and eat and sleep? And where how did they get that money? Scripture is very clear that it was wealthy women. One of them's name is Susanna. One of them's name is Joanna. Um, there's another one named Mary, and it says a bunch more women contribute from their wealth to advance the kingdom of God. What's really fascinating though is when all the other disciples abandon Jesus in the Garden of Eden or the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's just John and Peter who follow him up to Annas' house to, for his first of five trials. Um, when he is crucified, John, who's an eyewitness to the scene, says it's the women who are close to the cross. It's Salome, it's Joanna, it's, it's Mary, it's, it's the women who stay faithful. They're the last to see him alive, and they are the first to see him alive again. Again, Mary Magdalene, she is the apostle to the apostles. She brings the good news back that our Jesus is risen from the dead. The first church planner in Europe is a woman. Deaconesses, prophetesses, leaders, women are throughout scripture. Obviously, it, like, they were people of their culture. It was male dominated. There's no question about that. But it is undeniable that Jesus's female disciples played a huge integral and sustaining role in advancing the kingdom of God. Okay, all of this started with a conversation about, you know, with your wife about how many times <laughs> Jesus farts in a day and has turned into so much more. But what, how has this impacted your own life, your own faith life, learning all of this after you decided to dig deeper and to research all of this? So the, the big thing I hope people take away from it is that it just drives them to the Bible. And it's definitely just driven me to the Bible way more. 
I, I wear glasses, obviously on radio, people won't be able to see us, but like, if I'm not wearing my glasses, everything is blurry. When I put on my glasses, everything comes into focus. It comes into sight. When we are living our lives in the world without the word of God on as our lenses, we are blind. We don't know what's going on. We don't know the truest true reality. And when we put on the lens of scripture, it helps us to see with clarity. And that has been what this book has really started to grow in me is just like, God, I claim to be a person of the word, the logos, the ultimate logic, the real reality. Help me dive deeper and deeper and deeper into that. I want to be, I love what John Mark Comer says. He's like, being a Christian is being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. Like that's, that's beautiful. And I hope this book just makes people fall in love with Jesus all over again. Um, that's what it's been doing for me. And I'm just, I feel like I've just cracked open the door on his economics and his politics and his Jewishness. I, I love how John in his gospel, he says, if we wrote down all the things that Jesus did, it wouldn't fill all the books in the world. It's like, we're still doing that to this day. We're still unpacking all mm. these things that he started. But that's all Jesus came to do was like, get the ball rolling. He's like, hey, I'm here to announce a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Here's what it looks like. Have fun figuring it out. I'll be back. And it's just, he's been letting us grow in that kingdom ever since. I love it for the listeners, which are going to be a lot of our listeners that want to learn more and want to pick up this book. How can they go about doing that? Uh, if you go to a God named Josh.com, you can buy the book there. You can also watch the trailer and you can download a free sample chapter as well as get a free download of my first book, which is the pilgrimage on prayer. So a lot of goodies at a God named Josh.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Remember, if you want to listen to this full conversation again, you can do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can find that at podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. We'll chat with you again on Connections.